Welcome to A Better HR Business, the podcast that looks at how HR consultants and HR tech firms grow their businesses and how they help their employers to get the best out of their people. Remember, for show notes and downloads, go to www.getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. That's getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. Okay, let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the show. It's Ben here. I'm delighted to be joined today by Shola Kay. Shola is a multi-award winning speaker and communication consultant who does a wonderful job of helping organizations to create an atmosphere of belonging for their people and to help their people make a full contribution with powerful and effective communication. Shola, thank you very much for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Ben. Excited to be here. Excellent. Shola, to kick things off, do you want to start by giving us a little bit about your background and how you started your business? Yeah, absolutely. So I started out in IT consultancy many years ago. And uh, after a few years in that, then I had a big change and ended up being a professional singer for about 10, 15 years. And uh, then I fell in love with public speaking, I guess, through my experiences on stages and uh, decided to head back into the corporate world. And now I work with a lot of people who, who tend to use data or in the tech or STEM areas, as well as with executives. And I, I help them in a couple of ways. First of all, to be more effective communicators and to be more energetic, shall we say, and more engaging on stages, whether that's speaking in small meetings or whether that's being at a big conference in front of you know, hundreds or even more people. And I also work with organizations who want to create more of a, a feeling of belonging in the workplace. And uh, I tend to feel that communication and inclusion go hand in hand because they're yeah. all mediated through, you know, having good relationships with the people around you, which often is you know, to do with what we say to them and how we behave. Definitely. And how did you make the leap into starting the business itself? Was it a scary moment for you? So it's a scary moment. It, I'd, I'd been self-employed for a very long time. Ah, okay. And so it wasn't so much scary. It was more actually um, a place of having many different streams of income, I guess, and more opportunities available. Yeah. So when the time came, I, I'd been a teacher as well at a certain point. So I'd always been interested in helping others learn and facilitating learning. So when the time came to actually branch out from just doing the performing to the speaking, it just naturally made sense and it, was, it felt like the right thing for me. Mm, I love it. And you did a fascinating TEDx talk. So is there any background to that? Can you give us a description of what it was about and what led up to that moment? Yeah, sure, Ben. So the TEDx talk was on empathy in the workplace and why we need more empathy. And uh, the theme of the actual event was a seat at the table, which kind of sort of bled very well into this idea of inclusion. And early on in my career, when I had my first corporate role uh, working for a tech company in the States, I had found that as an introvert, and this is many years ago before, for example, Susan Cain's book on quiet, which is about the power of introversion, before there was much kind of recognition of helping introverts play a part in the workplace. I was in this company and as a, a fairly quiet person from a minority who was also from a different country, I think they felt that because I was a little bit quiet at the beginning of taking on the role, they felt that uh, perhaps I didn't have it in me to do the job. So <laughs> I very quickly found myself on probation. And Wow. Yeah, it was a bit scary because my visa was associated with the role. So oh. if I'd lost the job, I'd been, 
on the next plane back home. <laughs> Motivating, okay, okay. Yeah, exactly, no pressure. So that's where my interest in inclusion sort of came from, from a personal perspective, because I ended up turning things around. I stayed at the company for many more years and things worked out. But just the scenario that people can find themselves in where there's misunderstandings happening or because they're a little bit different or they approach things in a different way, they find themselves marginalized or sidelined. That became a, a topic that was very dear to my heart. And uh, that's what I spoke about in the TEDx. But then now I also work with organizations who you know, might have issues around inclusion. And I use empathy as the tool to try and work with those challenges. Love it. I actually did the strengths finder assessment years ago, and I think empathy was one of my five strengths that came out of it. So yeah, that's near and dear to my heart. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, yeah, for for listeners, definitely go and check out the TEDx because it's a great speech, great presentation. Many of my listeners are consultants or leaders of companies in the HR industry, and part of their role is to get out there and give speeches and presentations, sell themselves, sell the company, that sort of thing. Do you have any advice or frameworks that they can use to give a better performance? Yeah, definitely. I'd love to share. I mean, I'm a big one. I think coming from a sort of scientific and techie background and now working in communication, I'm a big one for frameworks, step-by-step systems, models, all of that good stuff mm-hmm. to make life easy. Because, you know, when you've got the pressure of making a big presentation, the last thing you want to worry about is, you know, the, 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 the detail um, So yeah, I mean, one framework that I use with a lot of my clients, which I talked about in my uh, first book, is I initially called it the DIVA framework, D-I-V-A, but Mm -hmm. then I got some pushback from certain men. So (laughs) luckily, DIVA spells avid backwards, and avid means enthusiastic. So you can either be an enthusiastic speaker or you can be a DIVA speaker, whichever (laughs) one. (laughs) The model is the same. And what those letters stand for is D stands for being dynamic. So finding a way to be energetic on stage, which doesn't mean you have to jump up and down in the air like Tony Robbins or, you know, pump your (laughs) your fist. (laughs) But some people, their way of being dynamic might be with language, very uh, evocative language. Others, it might be that they're engaging. So they have a lot of audience interaction. But I think each of us, uh, whatever our style, can find a way to be more dynamic when we're, we're on stage. So that's the D. And the I stands for being inspiring. And this is really about connecting with uh, storytelling or, for example, using a lot of what I call you-focused language. Mm. There's a lot of speakers, they get up there and it's like, well, I did this, I climbed Everest, I did X, Y, Z. And um, they don't realize that that can be quite alienating to the audience because it's all about the speaker rather than the audience and the speaker going on the journey together. So um, the more yous that a speaker can get into their presentation, the better. So um, I, I say that inspiring is about youth-focused language as well as storytelling so that you connect in an emotional way with the audience. Then the next letter is V. So that's about delivering value. And of course, if you're speaking at a big, big presentation, a big conference, you're going to want to be delivering some sort of value. But also, is, that, is the way that you're presenting your information the best way for the audience to actually take it and absorb it? So uh, just really about being very audience-focused and uh, providing good content. And then um, A is about being authentic. And again, I I just think there's no one way for people to be. I think everyone's got their own style. So being authentic is really knowing your values as a communicator and being true to those. Because I think, you know, for example, I could compare myself to Oprah Winfrey and say, oh, Oprah's voice is, is so resonant compared to mine or 
oh, she's got so much depth compared to me. But is that a useful comparison? It's probably not. So what are my values as a speaker? And then at the end of my presentation, I can compare myself to those and not to some, you know, sort of fictional kind of perfection that is not going to serve me very well. So that's the main framework. I've got lots of others, but that's the main one I share for public speaking. Yeah, that's very useful. And, and I agree, it's best not to emulate Oprah. Otherwise, you have to give away a free TV to the entire audience every time you speak. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> then there's no cash either, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we've been through much recently. The, the world of work has changed so dramatically in recent times. What are your thoughts on how to create a sense of belonging and engagement in teams that are now working virtually? Yeah, good question. I think a lot of, obviously, a lot of the spontaneity of working in the same office space has, has gone away. Yeah. And so a lot of that, you know, the warmth and the, the feeling of being included actually needs to be thought out a lot better. So some ways that uh, we can create that sense of belonging are things like checking in. For example, if it, we're at the beginning of a meeting, checking in to understand how people are actually feeling at that time. So a couple of ways you can do that. You can actually ask people in one word to pop in the chat what they're actually feeling at the moment. Or you can say, well, on a scale, you know, red, yellow or green, how are you feeling right now? And then at least that way people are feeling that they've got an opportunity to, to let it be known, you know, how they're feeling and what's going on for them. And of course, depending on, you know, the, the words that are coming back or the colours, you know, we can sort of follow up a bit more with that later. Okay. Uh, yeah. Also things like rotating the hosts of meetings so everyone feels involved. A big one for me is, for example, in, in meetings, getting people involved in the chat. So not the chat that goes on behind the scenes, you know, like private messages, oh, yeah. but asking people to participate by sharing ideas, sharing views, etc. during the course of the meeting. And in a way, I actually feel that that is more liberating, in particular to introverts and I even saw something on LinkedIn where a lot of women were saying that they felt that video conferencing was much more of a leveler in terms of their participation in meetings because it wasn't now, you know, the person that's most physically imposing or the loudest voice, mm. but it, it was much more, it didn't democratize meetings. So yeah, although obviously now it's a bit tougher when we're, we're physically dispersed, I do feel that in some ways there are opportunities that are coming out from, you know, the technology in order to create more of a sense of belonging and contribution. Yeah, it's very interesting. And I was going to ask you actually about how we, these changes could potentially make workforces or workplaces more inclusive because some of the, uh, the boys, you know, the locker room type humour that comes up into certain workplaces, I guess that can yeah, have disappeared to an extent or maybe it's gone online. So what are your thoughts on making workplaces more inclusive? And have these changes impacted that at all? I think they have. I mean, as I say, there was this article that I was looking at on LinkedIn and I put a post out myself regarding how people are feeling now in terms of being able to make a contribution, feeling included. So on the one hand, I think there are, there's more opportunity for certain people to feel left out because you know, they're not happening upon conversations, they need to be actively involved, or there needs to be some sort of strategy in terms of bringing everybody in and making mm. sure everyone's included. But then on the other, you know, with, with what I just uh, referred to, yeah as though there are many opportunities for people to to be heard more than ever before and one example was uh, somebody put on a post last week that I'd sort of raised this idea of of the chat being a leveler and she said that she was in a conference of 100 people and she would never have dreamed of speaking up 
wow. that had been a physical meeting yeah. but she ended up making a comment in the chat which was then adopted and she said she she'd influenced the course of the proceedings <laughs> she had the chat that she could you know contribute into so so yeah you know i think it's with all these things you know there's, there's good and bad so it's just as we progress with working from home it does you know continue which it looks like it's going to just making sure that we you know mitigate for the the, the bad and we kind of uh, embrace the, the good even more Absolutely. And, and especially with some of the ideas you raised earlier, such as the traffic light rating system or the score or one to 10 or whatever of how you're feeling at the time, combine those in a structured way. Even if we do go back to full office space work environments, there are ways of creating more inclusive and level playing field in, a, in an office environment. Absolutely. Very much so. It's quite funny on this kind of area of in- inclusivity because um Somebody I was talking to a couple of weeks ago was saying that at their company, they were doing this, you know, MTV Cribs. I don't know if you ever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so all the, you know, the celebs would sort of show you around their, their palatial home. <laughs> and uh, so this company was saying, all right, we'll do a, a Cribs event. <laughs> and so people were walking around with the laptop around their houses. And, <laughs> and I, I put a post out saying, my gosh, can you imagine, you know, for some people that's fun, but for others... You know, maybe they've got kids' toys all over the place or they're in a small home, you know, whatever it might yeah. be. They need to preserve that, you know, that kind of boundary between work and home. So on the one hand, I think, you know, as I say, we've talked about some of the advantages, but equally, I would never want somebody to feel under pressure to have to open things up more than they would want to yeah. just because we're now working from home. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I can't think of anything more, <laughs> more awkward than watching other people walking through their homes. So what about for your business itself? How did you get your first few clients and how do you do it nowadays? Yeah, interesting, isn't it? I mean, client acquisition is always the big, the big one for any business, really. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, when I started out, I started out by running events and I found running events was, was great, obviously because I was a speaker, but then also when you're running your own events, it positions you as a leader. And so I found that I was making contacts through that. And, you know, there was this perception that I, you know, was a bit more established in the industry than I really was <laughs> at the time, which I was, it was, it was quick not to kind of tell anyone that it was otherwise. And then, so yeah, so through that, that helped. Then I wrote a book and then the book enabled me to do some PR. So I, I had somebody who was reaching out, just, she was just doing a couple of hours a week for me. But I think also when, you, when you're starting a business and you feel you don't have a lot behind you, it can feel really awkward to be the one saying, well, you know, I've only been in it a few months and I haven't got many clients, but can you please give me a break? It feels horrible. Yeah. So the fact that I had this person helping me just was, was liberating because she was getting the, the knockbacks and not me. Yeah. <laughs> but also, I mean, for people listening, it's such a clever strategy that promoting a book because it's not you it's this thing next to you that is being promoted and so if they say yes or no to something if they're saying yes or no to this inanimate object this book which is full of your wisdom and so on but it's something that people are more likely to pass around and want to talk about rather than some stranger so how did they go for you anyway it really helped actually i mean it, it, i probably didn't push the book as much as i could have done because you know there you've got people that build a whole career just on on having a book and they've got yeah. the marketing in place and the all of it and i i think i was I wrote it and I didn't perhaps monetize it as much as I could, but you know, it's still there. And it got me my first big PR opportunities, which was speaking at events, you know, for Harper's Bazaar, Marie Claire, 
that was all through having the book and, you know, putting myself out there as a thought leader. So then from those PR opportunities, that obviously gave me the credibility to start to get bigger clients, to get more opportunities. So definitely the book was quite pivotal for me in terms of, you know, getting the business up and running. And uh, as I say, also having someone to do PR, because often when I speak now, I I mention that I'm an introvert and I have people without fail coming up and saying, gosh, I didn't know that I could start my own business and and be a speaker as an introvert. And I said, well, you just got to find somebody to pick up those areas where perhaps you don't feel the most confident. And then, you know, it, it just makes life a whole lot easier rather than you feeling you've got to have every skill that's required before you can get going because then we'd never, never begin. I, love that. I mentioned earlier that uh, I did the strengths finder assessment and I'm a, I had one of the things with, was empathy, but part of that whole strengths finder movement is don't try and fix your weaknesses, find mm-hmm. ways to balance them out in some other method and then focus on your strengths. And so that is exactly what you just described, teaming up with someone else who can fill in that gap and then let you do what you do best. Yeah, very much so. And I, it, you know, sort of taking that back to the communications and even in terms of, again, you know, because I work with a lot of people in, from the tech world or good with data who aren't necessarily the, the best at speaking. So in meetings, they may underperform or they may, you know, not have that opportunity to share their ideas. And so I even say to them, well, in a meeting, why don't you find an, an advocate in your department or who's going to be at that meeting and say to them, well, can you back me up when I share this idea or you know, if my mind goes blank, can you put in a good word until things come back for me? And then I can sort of carry on from there. And I think that tends to work very well also. So yeah, I'm all for people teaming up and and, uh, being in partnership. Very much so. Very good. And do you have any advice for listeners who are trying to grow their own HR related business? One area that I found really helpful just recently is LinkedIn. And what I've been doing is creating quite a few conversational posts. So posts that aren't even related to, to my work, just posting regularly, having a strategy of reaching out to you know, new, new contacts on a regular basis, you know, whether it's 10 a day or however many a week. But that combined with the regular posting has really helped. That's helped no end because people get to know you as a person because obviously you know, there's how many speaking coaches and communication consultants, there's so many of all of us. But they can get to know a little bit about our personality. Do they agree with us? Do they you've got similar perspective on life? And then from there, it's much easier for them to reach out. And they may not respond to a post, but they might send you a direct message and say, oh, I saw your post on so-and-so or, you know, can we have a chat? And I've just found in the last, I've sort of been more aggressively doing things on LinkedIn the last month or so. And already had three, you know, very big potential clients reaching out to me. So that's been really good. And then another strategy now with my public speaking hat on is speaking at conferences. And I know sometimes with the big conferences, it can be hard to get your foot in the door. But I think this is a wonderful opportunity now with so many events yeah. going virtual yeah. to you know, establish yourself as a speaker or establish yourself as a thought leader. And you don't, it, it doesn't take a lot to you know, get to speak at some of these smaller events. And then at those events, What's good is to have a strategy where, again, what I typically do is I'll have a, a slide at the end of my presentation with my LinkedIn QR code, and I'll say, reach out to me on LinkedIn. I might offer them a, you know, some sort of lead magnet or something or some incentive. So then I'll get those contacts on LinkedIn, and then from LinkedIn, I'll personally send a message, 
And I'll say something like, well, if you ever need help with X, Y, and Z, please get in touch. And I'm finding that although you don't get the immediate clients from that, and this is an immediate need, that strategy combined with some regular posting where people see you really will pay dividends because you're front of mind, well, top of mind when the moment comes that they need you. So as we know with B2B, it's not always a a quick thing. It can be a bit of a long game. But I think, yeah, just being in front of people, being seen as human, seen as somebody with something to say and someone who's inviting conversations, I think it will put you in good stead. Yeah, that's excellent advice. If you're listening, I hope you took notes or rewind on that all because it's so powerful. And absolutely, if you're going to give a, a presentation do offer something at the end that you could share via email so you can keep in contact and you know, keep them as part of your ecosystem, if you like. That's mm-hmm. brilliant. Sholly, you've shared so much excellent information today. If people want to learn more about you and your business, what should they do next? A couple of things they can do. So they go to my website, which is sholake.com. That's K-A-Y-E with an E on the end. And I've got a podcast there. I've got a video blog, plenty of content for you to look at. Or connect on LinkedIn. So I've been extolling the virtues of LinkedIn, so I can't really call <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, please do connect on LinkedIn. I'd be happy to connect with you. I've got a bunch of uh, free resources and things. So um, so yeah, I'll try out my strategy on you as well. <laughs> Clever. Well, Shola, thank you very much for your time. I've had a great time talking with you. Fantastic. Thanks a lot, Ben. It was a real pleasure. Take care. Thanks for joining us today on A Better HR Business, the podcast that explores the world of HR consulting and HR tech businesses. For show notes and downloads, go to www.getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. That's getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. Remember to subscribe and share the show with any friends who are busy growing a HR business. Thanks and see you next time.